You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. not only enjoyed worship, but my hope is that you also have come to hear the word of God. And, if, and with that being said, I want us to dive right in. And so wherever you are, um, however it is where you are, um, whether you have digital or whether you have a Bible in your hand, I want you to turn to the book of Jonah. Turn to the book of Jonah. Um, Jonah, um, as uh, for many of you who've been keeping along with us um, in, this, in this most current um, series of sermons, um, you know that um, Brother Jeff had been doing a small, a kind of a mini-series um, in Jonah about, um, essentially about a couple of things. Number one, about how we can make our own storms about the things that we do and about running away from God and running away from um, the things that God has for us. But number two, also knowing when to toss a bad relationship and the cost of hanging on. And so today, I'm going to pick up in Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to have a little bit of a, going to have a little bit of a, a different style of a message um, from me, so to speak, in this, in this particular um, venue, where I'm relying on the Lord to essentially give me all the words to say here. Um, I will say, um, this can, although it can be a very nervous feeling, I believe that the Lord um, has led me to say something very important, and I want us to be able, and I want to be able to say this clearly without being a slave to notes or anything else. And so with that being said, once again, Jonah chapter 3. Um, if you are there, wherever you are, you can say amen. I'm assuming that you said it. Um, in fact, you know what, just to get a running start, jump back if you would to chapter, Jonah chapter 2, and let's look at verse 10. And as we're going to, we kind of get a running start here as we look from verse 10, I mean, chapter 2, verse 10, and we're going to read straight through um, Jonah chapter 3 and maybe even cover just a tad bit of chapter 4. Here we go. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Here's what it says. It says, and the word of the Lord commanded, um, and the word, I mean, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Verse, I mean, chapter 3, verse 1 says this, And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, the, I mean, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took, it took three days to walk, I mean, to walk it. Um, Jonah began... Going, I mean, begin by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least person, put on sackcloth, and the greatest to the least, I mean, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on the God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we 
will not perish. Verse 10 tells us, when God saw that they did what they, I mean, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And let's read the very beginning of, of chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than it is to live. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, we thank you, God, for the opportunity to worship in your, to worship in your name, Lord. Lord, we pray, God, that God, as, God, as you use me as a mouthpiece, God, that you would cleanse me, Lord, that you would give me clarity, Lord, that you would give me a, the clear message to speak, Lord. God, help us to see all the principles in these passages, Lord. Help me as a, as a shepherd, a leader, God, to, to speak in such a way, God, that not only um, encourages myself, God, and gives, and gives me the confidence to speak boldly in your name, but Lord, also encourage and build up those who hear, Lord, that they would that they would be convicted, that they would be built up, and that they would turn to you for for all things, Lord, because it is by you that we live, we breathe, and we have our being. It is through you, your glory, that our name is made in Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And so on today, um, I want to talk from the subject: your heart's not in it. Your heart's not in it. Maybe those words strike a tone with you because maybe just maybe you know what it's like to be going through something and to have your heart not be where it needs to be. Maybe you're in a, in a relationship and you're not giving your all because your heart's not in it. Maybe you are stuck in a job where you're trying to find your peace of mind, where you're trying to find a place where you can fit, belong, or maybe perhaps that maybe people are looking, you, looking to you in a way that's suspicious, and you're trying to find a way to make it, through this, make it through the daily grind of going to work and coming home and justifying getting up and doing it again, but your heart's not in it. Perhaps you're at home with your family, trying to be the best parent that you could be, trying to steward and shepherd your children and, your, um, and love your spouse as best you can, but there's a part of you that is, wants to tap out. There's a part of you that doesn't, that just is kind of stuck in a lull, and you find yourself going through the motions day after day after day, and you're at the point where your heart is just not in it. We've all experienced that. And not only that can that happen in our relationships, not only can that happen in our work, that can also happen in our spirituality with God. You see, when God calls us to be people, uh, to be people who are faithful to him, his expectation of us is that we would not only serve him, but we would serve him wholeheartedly. However, there are times when the service that we portray or the service that we try to display or put on display for God is not matched 
by the zeal of our heart. And that is kind of, and that in a nutshell is kind of where, um, where, where our, the, the focus of our story today, Jonah, is. You see, if you've been keeping up with our sermon series in the last couple of weeks, you know that Jonah was this man who was a prophet who was called by God. He was called by God to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is a, is a huge city that had a lot of evil people. And God calls him to Nineveh and tells him, listen, I need you to go to Nineveh and I need you to tell them, I need you to proclaim a word to them. Well, because um, Jonah has some issues with the people of Nineveh, Jonah decides to disqualify himself by deciding that he's not going to go to Nineveh, which is 500 miles from where he was. He decides to go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to avoid, to avoid the idea of doing what God had called him to do. Well, due to this, he ends up brewing a storm for himself that he could never, I mean, that he could never imagine. He finds himself going to um, an island, or I'm sorry, a coastal city by the name of Jaffa, or Joppa, and he finds himself paying the fare to get on a, to get on a boat and to try to sail away as far as he can away from God and his calling. But as we all know, God is omnipresent. That means that God is everywhere. And no matter where we go, we're going to have a hard time trying to escape from the presence of God. And so God finds him at sea. He appoints a big fish to eat Jonah. First of all, he, gets, he appoints a storm. And this storm is so rocky and wavy that the people on the boat were like, listen, I don't know what's causing this, but perhaps it's you. Or perhaps there's something to do with you being on this boat. And Jonah, t- and they t- and Jonah tells him, listen, listen, I already know what this is about. And listen, if you want to get rid of this, you got to toss me over. And they're like, listen, we don't, want to, we don't want you to die on this account. But we don't want the seed. We don't want this bad thing to continue to happen. And so in the end, he gets tossed over the boat. And just when he thinks that this is bad enough, that he's getting tossed over the boat for not fulfilling the will of God, God appoints a great fish to eat Jonah. He, swallow, he swallows Jonah. And Jonah is now in the belly of this large fish for three days. And so then he finds himself in a place where now he's repentant. He's on his knees. He's trying to figure out, Lord, Lord, I could have died. I should have died. And now, Lord, you have saved me. You, even in the midst of the belly of this, of this fish, Lord, you have protected me. And now we fast forward to the, verse, to the first verses that we read now. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, it says there came a point where he was at th- after three days that the fish vomits up or the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, I want you to stay with me because I want to make a point from, from this particular verse starting off here. You see, when Jonah decided that he was going to run, his, he decided that his heart was more in running away from the will of God than it was in actually doing the will of God. And because he tried to run, God came, got him, swallowed him, and brought him back to the place where he paid the fare to get on the boat to run away from God. Here's the point I want to make. When the fish vomits him back up, the fish vomits him back up in Joppa. Joppa is the place that he went to to make the decision to either, hey, do I fulfill the will of the Lord? Or B, do I get on this ship and get as far away as I can? Notice what God did. God vomited him back up onto dry land at the very place 
he was tasked to make the decision. And that's just like God sometimes. That's just like us sometimes. There are times when God is calling us to do something. God is calling us to make the right choice. And sometimes God has to whip us in the shape. It's almost like, it's almost like a parent-to-child relationship where when you tell your child to do something and they don't do it, and rather, and, and, and what you decide to do is, listen, you, you, you discipline them, but then you bring them back to that place and say, okay, let's try this again. And that's what God did for Jonah. God said to Jonah, listen, let's try this a second time. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, after he was vomited back up on dry land, in, verse three, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. You know, sometimes God puts us in a place where we can't escape, we can't escape the, the fails of what we've done. Sometimes God places us in a place where the very thing that we're trying to avoid, it keeps coming back up. Maybe there's a maybe there's a secret sin that or maybe there's a secret sin that you have that you perpetrate and you keep thinking that I can do this in secret and nobody will ever know. Or perhaps you've made a strong decision to do something that goes against the will of God and as time has moved on from it you think that you're safe and yet God brings that thing back to remembrance into into your life whether somebody else is mentioning it whether it's the pastor or preacher preaching that preaching and it's starting to convict your heart or whether you keep experiencing the same consequences because of the decision that you made. God sometimes put us in a position where the very thing that we've tried to skirt, the very thing that we've tried to avoid, he puts us back in the same place and he wants us this time to make the right decision. And that's what he does to Jonah. He brings Jonah back to the very place where he made the decision to pay the fare to get on the boat. And he says, okay, let's try this one more time. And this time, Jonah decides to say yes. Our God is a God of second chances. And we need to be grateful that he is so. But if God spends so much time bringing you back around to the same place, to face the same choice, it's because God wants us to make the right decision this time. Perhaps that's why we keep going in circles in our lives. Because God keeps bringing us to a place where, where he's asking us this time to make the right decision, and we keep making the wrong one. And as we keep making the wrong decision, God allows us to live with those consequences, but then he brings us back to that spot and he says again, let's try it one more time. Not only that, Jonah, who, who doesn't have his heart in this idea of going to preach to the people of Nineveh, he now decides that he's decided that he's going to go to Nineveh and he's going to do what the Lord told him. You know, faith is a diff faith is, is, faith can be a complex thing. You know, when we think of faith, we often think of the idea, of course, that, you know, faith is the substance of things unseen, right? The hope of things, the hope of things to come, right? But sometimes us acting in faith is not always necessarily a comfortable thing. A lot of times we assume that when we are in the will of God or trying to do the will of God, 
that God's will comes in this comfortable, neat package, and it happens all in one foul swoop. I've come to tell you that sometimes as God deals with us and God presses us to exercise faith, God allows us to exercise faith, and even though our heart may not be in it, he allows our actions to speak and our hearts to catch up. You see, Jonah, and I want to make sure everybody gets this, Jonah, when he decides that he is going to, when he's going to do what God has called him to do, Jonah is not doing this with a, man, I am so happy to go to Nineveh. Man, I can't wait to go to Nineveh and preach to the people. Let me tell you why. Number one, and from Jonah's perspective, Jonah is number one. He just, he just had a traumatic experience. He was trying to run away from God, and he ends up overboard, swallowed by a fish, spit up on dry land, and asked to do the very thing that he doesn't want to do. So now, as Jonah decides to do the thing that God is telling him to do, he's in kind of a dilemma, because he's probably thinking, I mean, I could get back on the boat, but I also didn't appreciate almost drowning. And I don't like getting, getting eaten by big fish. So I'm going to do the will of the Lord. And so he's essentially doing the will of the Lord from this place of, listen, I, hey, I don't, I don't want to get fined anymore. I don't want to get disciplined anymore. And so he sets off for Nineveh. It says in verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. And it says that Nineveh was a large city. And I want you to notice something here. As Jonah is obeying the word of the Lord, I want you to understand this once more. Sometimes our obedience to the Lord is not always coupled with our heart or our compassion or our heart to actually fully serve him. Did you know that there are times that we could do stuff for God and we can do it begrudgingly? Do you know that there are times where sometimes we try to do what God wants us to do, but sometimes our hearts are not always there? Now, there's a reason, there are reasons actually, why our hearts are not always there. And I believe that in the midst of this scripture, I believe that Jonah really shows us a lot of the feelings that we can have even when God is calling us to act on faith, even when we don't, we don't feel like it. And I want to be able to share some of that with you today. And so as we look at Jonah chapter, as we look at Jonah chapter three, look at verse two. We start off with this. It says, Jonah tells, I mean, God tells Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. Notice that when God sends him out, God says, listen, go to the city of Nineveh, which he asked him for the second time. And he says, go and proclaim the message that I will give to you. One of the first things you have to know when your heart's not in it, when your heart's not in it, when it's, sometimes when it comes to matters of faith, sometimes we have to accept our faith over a lot, having all the facts. Now, here's what I mean by that. Am I saying don't have any facts? No, I'm not saying that. Because you need an appropriate amount of information to be able to accomplish what God wants you to do. But notice that as he is striking off to go and do what God has told him, he only has a couple of details. Go to the city of Nineveh. 
proclaim. What to proclaim? The thing I'm going to tell you to proclaim. Jonah didn't have a lot of facts. He had something. He had enough. But he didn't have all the facts. Now, we live in the information age. We live in a time where more, more so than ever, we have access to more, than, more information than we can handle. And in so many degrees, that's a blessing. But we also live in an information age where we're being bombarded not by just information, but by good information and bad information. And think about this. When we find ourselves in a place where there's good and bad, we find ourselves trying to sift through what's good and what's bad. And sometimes we get so much information that we don't know what to do next. Because we're, if, we, if we find ourselves, um, for lack of a better term, we find ourselves in a place where we are um, paralyzed by analysis. You see, God simply told Jonah to obey his will. And thank God after the second time that God tells Jonah this, he decides to obey. But I want you to know that his heart wasn't in it. And my hope is that by the end of this sermon, I'm going to show you how I know that his heart wasn't in it. But Jonah didn't have all the facts, and yet God still called him to go forward. Maybe you're in a place right now where God is asking you to step out on faith, to do something, to do something in such a way where you don't have all the facts, but God still wants you to go. Well, listen, you're no, you're, you're no different than Abraham. When God calls Abraham from the city of Ur, from the place of his birth, from the land of his forefathers, Abraham is called by God, and God tells him, he says, Abraham, I want you to go. And Abraham, and Abraham in a roundabout way says, and where? And God says, just go. And Abraham says, but to where? And God says, just go to a land I will show you. There are times where God simply gives us the first step and he wants us to follow him. And then as we follow him, he'll begin to fill in all the details. You see, one of the things is this, like, if anyone has ever played a game where they've been blindfolded, when you're being blindfolded, it's on you to trust the person calling you, calling out to you and giving you the information to help you get where you have to go. But to get where you have to go, you have to listen to the first directions. You have to listen to the first directions. Because without the first, you can't set the path for the next. God wants you, God wants us to take the first step after he gives us that information because here, he can't set into motion the next thing until you've made that first step. We can't always have all the facts. I'm not saying being ignorant, but what I am saying is this. There are times when God is not going to give you all the information you need. In fact, I may have said this before in a sermon, but listen, God doesn't work off explanations. God works off promises. When God asked Abraham, when God asked Abraham to, to go, he, all he could do was go with a promise. He says, listen, I promise that I'm going to make you a great nation. As, as, as much as multiple as the stars, but for him to become a great nation, he had to go. He had to go to somewhere different. Now, God filled in the details as he went, but imagine 
if he never went. It would make no sense for God to tell him that he's going to be a great nation because God had to make him a great nation in a different place. He had to take the step of faith. And God is not going to, and for some of you waiting on God to give you a detailed plan with, with arrows and markers and, and signs where angels fall from heaven and shine light on it, which he can and will do, God wants you to exercise faith. There comes a time when we as believers, where God maybe in the beginning, he knows that we're babes and he treats us as such where he kind of helps us along. It's almost like the booster seat of faith. But then there comes a point where he asks us, like, do you really trust me? And if you trust me, take a step without knowing the next and just know that I have your back. That's the type of faith God wants from you. And that's the type of faith he wanted from Jonah. Sometimes we can't have all the facts. A second, a second point from this. It says that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Not only the thing that keeps us from having, the thing that keeps our heart from being in it when following God is not only not having facts sometimes, not only facts, but it's also fame. You know, many times we find ourselves in a place where we, we have a hard time following God with all our heart because we're worried about what other people will think of us. I want you to understand that when God, when God sends Jonah to Nineveh, God is not sending Jonah, not sending Jonah to just any regular city. God is sending Jonah to a place where, A, they didn't like Hebrew people. Two, they killed people without, they killed people and then displayed their bodies. And then on top of that, they would paint art about the killing that they did with people. They were brutal, violent people who committed atrocities against the Hebrews. And Jonah is being asked to go preach to them the word of salvation. And Jonah's like, and in Jonah's heart, Jonah is thinking to himself, but these people don't like me. These people can't stand me. These people don't even care about me. And you want me to go preach to them? The people who don't like me would kill me, would display my body, and would make art about how bad they, they tore me up? These are the people. I guarantee you, Jonah was probably also thinking, what would the other people think that he was out there preaching, trying to bring salvation to people that were considered the enemies of God. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in places where we're worried about what we're going to look like in the eyes of other people. Now, you may be out there and you may be thinking to yourself, well, Reggie, that's not me. That's not me. I don't do that, Reggie. I don't care what anybody says. We all have a little bit of uh, insecurity about us. A lot of us sometimes worry about how we look in front of other, how we look, how we sound, how we, you know, how we're portrayed. I don't think that anything was different with that with Jonah. I think that's another reason why his heart wasn't in it. I think because he was worried that he would look like, that, I mean, that he would probably possibly look like a traitor in front of the people, um, the Hebrew people who didn't like the people of Nineveh. You need, to, you need to be clear. We need to be clear that when God calls us to step out in faith and follow him, 
that God is asking us to put all the other things aside. That includes how we look in the eyes of other people. If you're a Jesus follower, you don't, if you're, if you're following Jesus the way we're supposed to, we're going to look strange to a dying world. We're going to look like aliens. We're going to look like people who don't, people don't understand why we show up every Sunday to pray to a God that we don't see, knowing that he saves us. We're going to look weird anyway. If we're going to look that way, why not go out doing the thing that we should be doing? God, when God calls us, God is not calling us, God is not calling us wondering what we would look like in front of other people. God is concerned about how we look before him. Do we look holy? Are we following his standard? Would you rather look good in front of God following his standard or good in front of men denying God in his way? God wants us to put aside the things that keep us from having heart and serving him wholeheartedly. And part of that is us having to realize that, listen, we may look a certain way. We may have to either deny a certain amount of fame or we may have fame for all the, all, what seemingly are all the wrong reasons. But God asks us to lay those things aside for the good of his God, I mean, for the good of his gospel. Not only that, it says that Jonah obeyed the Lord, the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, once again, was a large city. It took three days to go through it. That's in verse three. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and the and Nineveh will be overthrown. So now you got to I want to set the scene here. Jonah is now in Nineveh. He's preaching in this place, in this city. <coughs> Excuse me. He's preaching in this city um, that is a huge place. And I want you to understand that this place was huge. People lived inside the walls. This place was probably about roughly 27 miles long. I mean, 20, I mean with the width of 27 miles. This is a really big city, folks. I mean, and, and keep in mind that this place was so big that it probably was the idea of a place like Los Angeles. Los Angeles itself is large, but then when you think about all the communities that are around it that make up Los Angeles, right, it makes Los Angeles an even greater place. And not only that, um, he doesn't have a megaphone. He doesn't have an Uber. And he's having to walk through the streets of the city, and he's have to say, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Go to the next corner. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he has to do that back and forth through the city. And, and just to give you how daunting this task is, the Bible tells us in verse, it tells us in verse three to four, it tells us this, it takes three days to walk through the city. And that's to give you a context of how large this place is, right? And it's not even necessarily saying that he spent that much time all day long. It's just saying, to help you understand, this is a lot of ground to cover. And the man, with just his voice, is having to go through the, every highway and every byway to be able to preach the word of God and tell them that, listen, judgment or um, the pro this proclamation, this thing is coming, right? Well, you got to imagine that Jonah's got to be one tired man, and he has to repeat himself. And then he's in a place where he'd rather not be preaching a message he'd rather not preach. It brings me to the third point. Sometimes our heart is not in doing what God tells us because of our feelings. 
Not only do we have to lay aside, sometimes we have to, sometimes facts get in the way, sometimes fame gets in the way, but sometimes feelings get in the way. You see, Jonah, Jonah's assignment was not fun. You know, a lot of times in the faith, we equip, you know, we have all these things that where God orchestrates them, he brings them together, and he makes them work for his good, and they're all good things. But there are times where our faith get, can get sometimes complex, or sometimes our faith can get a little confusing because we start looking for a hundred coincidences to see that God is in something when God gives us clear direction that he is already into this thing. You know, for some of us, we don't serve God unless it feels like the right thing to do. Well, God sent, sent Jonah to Nineveh when he clearly had beef with the people of Nineveh. It was not a fun assignment. He had feelings towards Jonah, I mean, towards the people of Nineveh and their actions and their morals, and yet God sent him anyway. When he shows up, he has to do something that's very inconvenient. He has to walk from street to street to place to place, proclaiming the same message monotonously to everyone in the hopes that everyone would get the message. It was it was hard. It was bored. It was almost, it could be borderline worrisome, tiresome. God's work is not always fun. Sometimes doing the will of God doesn't make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Sometimes doing the will of God, it's hard, it hurts, and it's tough on us. You see, a lot of times we get the impression that for God to be into something, it has to make us feel a certain way, it has to be fun, and it has to be something that we want to do. But when we look at the faith that God has given us, we look and we see that there are often times where the very things, the very things that God calls us to do are the very things that we don't care for. God tells us to do all kinds of things. And if you don't believe me, Look no further than our Savior, Jesus. God calls Jesus to die on the cross on behalf of us for our sins. But before he does that, he, takes the, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He sits the people down. He sits down his, his disciples and says, listen, stay here, pray, wait for me. And he goes deeper into the garden to pray. And when he prays to God, he says, God, if at all possible, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. In Jesus' humanity, he says, listen, if it's possible for me to save these people without having to do this, make it so, Lord. But did God do that? No. God sends him to the cross anyway. God tells him to go on anyway. And so because of that, because of the hard thing, the not fun thing, the wearisome thing, the thing that cost Jesus his life, we now have salvation. Your faith will sometimes lead you to have to do things that are not fun. Things that wear you down, things that make you tired, things that make you grow weary, things that make you tired of different things. 
God will allow those things to happen. And he will allow those things to happen because he wants you to exercise faith in him above all else. Now, before I make my last point here, I want to I help you understand the rest of the story. Jonah, Jonah goes on, he preaches to the people, the people hear him out, and the people hear him out so clearly that not only do they repent, but the king sends out an edict and says, listen, we should all repent, all people, even our animals. Let us all wear sackcloth. Let us all fall, let us all fall down. Let us all not eat. Let us all get to the point where we are all um, repenting towards God in the hopes that he will relent from doing the thing that we know he could do. And eventually what happens is as you read the rest of chapter 3, it actually happens. When you get to the end of chapter 3 and verse 10, God saw what they did and they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring them the destruction that he had threatened. And man, this would be an excellent story if it ended right there. They preach. God has a man who's not willing to preach. Then, he's, then he does it. And then when he does it, the greatest revival in the world happens. Very rarely do we see where it says a whole city of people repented because of one man's message. And Jonah, the person who didn't want to do it, is the one who ends up preaching the message that causes the great revival of an entire city. And you would think that that would be a badge of honor that Jonah would want. But he doesn't. Look at verse, look at chapter 4. When this happens, when the people relent, when the people stop their sin, and Jonah, and, and, uh, and Jonah um, hears about this, it says, Jonah seems, to Jonah, this seemed wrong. Now, wait a minute. Jonah just preached. An entire town got saved, and Jonah's angry. Jonah's hands crossed, fists lip out, wondering, now what in the world is going on here? Remember what I told you earlier. The, Nineveh, the people of Nineveh didn't like the Hebrew people. They would kill them for sport. They would put their bodies on display. They would make art in their atrocity. And they were people who enslaved the Hebrew, I mean, who kept um, the Hebrew people enslaved for many a years through the Assyrian Empire. And they finally have a change of heart. You would think that Jonah would be excited. And he's not. He's not excited. You see, because here's what Jonah thought. You see, it says that in verse 2, it says that he prayed to the Lord. He said, isn't this what I said, Lord? That when I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a great and gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending your calamity. And he's not saying that in an affirming way. He says, I can't believe that you would be gracious and passionate to these people. I can't believe that you would do such a thing for the people who don't want us. I can't believe you would be this nice to people who have killed us, hurt us, treated us less valuable. He's mad because the people who've hurt his people have gotten salvation. That leads me to my last point. One of the things that keeps us from serving God 
with all our heart. And let me recap here. Sometimes facts, sometimes fame, sometimes feelings, and sometimes it's fear. You see, Jonah was mad because he was scared that God would actually be nice enough to be gracious enough to allow them to repent and have salvation after he preached his word. And that's why he ran. He ran because he's like, God, I knew that your nature would let you let them get away with this. He was fearful of the people. He wanted no mercy. He wanted scorched earth. He wanted them to experience the, the, the hellfire and the brimstone associated with treating them, the people of God, wrong. And you go, man, ready to, well, that's a strong thing to say. But for many of us, many of us people here, many of us, a lot of reasons we're not able to serve God because we're afraid. Perhaps we're, perhaps we're afraid to even evangelize to people because we're afraid that God just may be gracious. He was afraid to evangelize to people because he was afraid that God may actually show mercy upon them. Instead of getting to know the people, instead of having compassion as God has had on him, he decided that God, show me compassion, but God, burn them down. You know, I believe that's the same fear I believe that's the same, same fear that drives us um, to mistreat people. I think that's the same spirit of things that allows us to fail, not only as a people, but as a nation. Let me, let me, let me, let me wrap this up, but let me say this before I wrap this up. You know, early on, I talked about the, the fact that God, when we fall short of his glory, when we keep making the wrong mistake, sometimes God will bring us back around to a mistake and then he will say, let's try this again. And I believe one of the things that he, is, keeps, he keeps bringing us, not only as a group of, as a body of believers in the church, but as a group of people in our nation, I think the thing he keeps circling us back around to is one of the core sins of our nation. That's racism. You know, just when we think we've seen enough atrocity, just when we think we've seen enough on the news, just when we think, you know, we're, we're, we're past this, we see it pop up again and again and again. And we think to ourselves, if we just brush it under the rug, if we just treat it this certain way, things will be fine in the by and by, things will get better. Well, let me share something with you. Things are not getting better. You know, the thing that hurts me most this week is the thing that many of you have probably seen on the news all week long. You've probably heard of this case in Minnesota where a man by the name of George Floyd was, was basically being stopped because he had a, um, supposedly had a uh, possible counterfeit bill. And in being detained and being um, arrested by the police, he was put on the ground and 
the lasting image of this thing is seeing this officer over this man subduing him with his neck, with his knee on the back of his neck for approximately what was probably about eight minutes until this man asphyxiates, chokes. And it's a difficult thing to it's a difficult thing to, to, to take in because we look at these and we keep and we keep saying to ourselves and people keep saying out loud and maybe you're right maybe maybe some of us are wrong maybe some of us are right but we keep saying things like well maybe people have this coming because of something they've done they've done or maybe if this hadn't happened then this would be this would be true but honestly folks i think one of the main reasons why we are in this country are still struggling with the sin of racism it's due to serving it's it's wanting to serve god but not having the heart because we're afraid we're afraid of what other people may do to us we're afraid of what other people may think of us we're afraid of how other people may see us this is a hard thing to say but this is a true thing to say. You see, the reason these things keep happening is because we're not past it. As much as I like to say that our nation has moved past racism, I can't say that with full confidence. I can't. I'm sorry. And maybe that's a personal struggle. Maybe that is. But maybe you understand what I'm talking about now. I know you think, I know we see these events sometimes and we think this is, these are isolated incidents. These are things that really don't happen and they happen in pockets of America. That doesn't happen where I'm from. But let me share something with you. Even your pastor deals with the fear of wondering what can happen to him when, th when, when things like this happen. When we look at the case of the, of the young man, um, um, and I, I, Ahmed, I'm sorry, I can't re recall his name. You know, I couldn't even watch that video. And yeah, people can unearth all kinds of information about what these people do, but let me share something with you. That man was outside, that man was outside jogging when he was confronted by people. Let me tell you a story that your pastor has struggled to, to want to say for a few weeks online, but I'm gonna say it here for you, for our people. Probably last year, um, as many of you know, I've struggled, I've struggled with, with my weight and with my health, and I've tried my best to try to get myself under control to make sure that I can live a healthy and productive life. One of the things that I've tried to incorporate into my weekly routine is to take walks and, slack, and slight jogs as much as possible. Well, one of the things that works for me is to try to take jogs early in the morning. And so I would get up in my neighborhood, walk and jog down the street. Many people I see, I wave, talk, all these different things. I'm a part of our neighborhood association. I get to interact with quite a few other people. Well, one morning, I was walking, and as I was walking, I noticed that a policeman was patrolling through our neighborhood. There's nothing wrong with that. I noticed, and so as I noticed him, I noticed he was patrolling as I thought, you know, he would normally be at any, any other time. Well, as I kept walking down the street and I got farther and farther, I noticed that where the patrolman would usually go into different parts of the neighborhood, he followed. And he followed me for roughly 
a mile and a half out of our neighborhood into the next neighborhood. Now, you're thinking, okay, well, Reggie, he's just doing his job. Imagine me as a black man hearing about shootings and all these different things, and I'm having this fear of wondering, Lord, when does this routine thing turn into a, 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 an incident gone wrong? And I want to make this clear. This is not a dig at police. Did you hear that? I want to make sure that's clear. This is not a particular focus dig at anybody for anything. What I am saying is this. Even I sometimes live in fear. And it keeps me from doing the things that I'm supposed to do so that God can work through me to accomplish things. As much as I would like to think that things like that don't happen to people like me, it does. And you think, oh, well, Reggie, you look different. You seem different. The stories we could share, the stories I could share with you, I don't mention them because I don't want to sound like, I don't want to sound like I'm joining in on the chorus. I don't mention them because a part of me wants to suck it up and keep going and not be a victim. But the other part of me is worried, is afraid, and is scared that one day something that seems routine is going to change the life of me and my family. So whether you believe that things are better in our, in our nation, one thing you need to know is this. If you struggle with fear, if you struggle with if you struggle with this idea that God is calling us to do something great and God wants us to reconcile with people who don't look like us, but you're worried about what they are could do for you or not or do to you or do do unto others, I want to share something with you. There's only one way to overcome fear. One way. And I know this seems like a tangent, but please stay with me. There's only one thing that can overcome fear. That's love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 tells us that, listen, when it comes to God's love, perfect love casts out fear. Which means this. If Jonah had had half the compassion he had for himself in that situation and had that upon other people, Maybe his heart would have been better geared towards receiving or giving salvation to people who he didn't care for, people that he didn't value. Because make no mistake, he had devalued those people. And here's the other part. When we struggle, when, when we struggle to treat people the way they should be treated, remember, you are treating somebody who bears the image of God in a way that God intended you not to treat them. So remember, as you go along the way, as you encounter people, the only thing that can take away the fear out of your heart of what it means to interact with people who don't look like you, don't act like you, and have maybe some a few different cultural differences, the only way to overcome that is love. Love doesn't mean that you totally understand who they are and why they do what they do. Love means that just like you want them to hear you out, you hear them out. Your brothers and sisters are in different, in different cultures, um, they, need, they need you. They're hurting. 
and they want, and here's the thing, we as Christians have an opportunity to witness, to show the love of God to those people. But we're afraid. We're afraid because we have certain, we have certain ethics, we have certain political leanings, we have certain uh, Christian affiliations and all these different things that keep us from wholeheartedly following after God and his will. The best thing that you could do, and you go, well, Reggie, how do I help? How do I do that? How do I follow God with all my heart? You let go of how you feel because God doesn't care about how you feel when you serve him. He wants you to serve him wholeheartedly. He doesn't care how people look, how you look before people because listen, ultimately, it only matters what you look like before him. He's not worried. Um, he's, he is not worried about all the facts because guess what? The God of all knowledge, the om, I mean, the, the omniscient one will reveal all in due time. And lastly, if you're afraid, he tells you, listen, he's a refuge. He can be your calm in the storm. When the waves are crashing back and back to and fro, he is the thing that stays steady. You can trust in him. Lord, I pray that more than anything, Lord, God, as I'm, as I'm done, Lord, God, that we would trust in you, Lord. That, God, there are times when our heart is just not in serving you. And there's so many reasons why, Lord. Lord, my prayer is today, Lord, that people have heard your heart, that people see the story of Jonah, God, as a, as a, as a clarion call, Lord, that, God, you want us to serve even when it doesn't feel like it's right. When we, even when our feelings, when, even when our feelings are not in it, allow us to serve. Even when it's not fun, allow us to serve. Even when we're afraid, allow us to serve. Even when we don't have all the facts, allow us to serve you. God, there are many people out here hurting. There are families, there are people, there are writing, there are all kinds of things going on, Lord. And these things should not be happening. But Lord, at times like this, you remind us, Lord, that well, these things can come into the forefront because, God, we need to address them in the best way possible, head on, doing it your way. God, we can't skate around the issues anymore. We have to address them head on. Lord, help us to be people that when we serve you, we serve you with all our heart. And God, if our heart is not there, God, allow us to learn how to serve you and allow our heart to catch up with you, Lord. God, no matter where we are, you want us to be in the center of your will. Jonah was in the center of your will by, by his actions, but his heart has some catching up to do. Let our hearts catch up to our service. And as we do so, let us give glory to you. And let that be the ultimate expression of our love towards you, God, not just service. You're not a God of just simply going through the motions and doing what we're supposed to do, Lord. You are the God that tells us, I want you to do it because you love me. Because, you're, because you know what I've done for you. Because my perfect love, Lord, the Lord's love, has cast out your fear and your doubt and your shame. And you can now serve unashamedly knowing that God has paid the penalty so that your shame can be written of. And that means that our brothers and sisters, no matter where they are, how they serve, when they serve, can experience the fullness of joy from us as much as we can experience the fullness of joy from them. And I pray for this and many more. In the name of Jesus.